2: and welcome to catch up with louise McSharry. this is the podcast where i try and catch you up in the week if you haven't been paying attention no problem don't worry about it we've got you covered unfortunately the news stories are quite bleak this week that is one thing i will warn you about um but still nonetheless we'll make sure you know about them and um, we do have some good stuff to talk about there's some good irish sporting news and uh, some medium irish sporting news we've got a great chat coming up later on and um and lots of celeb stuff as well. So don't worry. There is a good bit of crack in here. But the the news stories. Sorry, I'm just coming off the back of recording them and I'm just like, oh my God. Everything is so bleak. Um, but I how was my week? My week was fine. Um, not that you asked, but I'm gonna tell you anyway. Uh I'm still dealing with this like really annoying thing. You know, I told you I have this like the cyst I've been dealing with, it's not a cyst anymore, it's an abscess now. It's been a total pain in my ass, and I'm losing loads of time and energy and patience to managing it and it is just reminding me once again to be very grateful for the fact that most of the time my body does not give me any grief and your health is your wealth etc but genuinely um it's reminding me not to take that for granted so I suppose I want to feed that in your direction if you're feeling well today if your throat is not sore if your back is not killing you if you don't have any major ailments to contend with I guess you know let's revel in the gratitude of that if you are dealing with something like that then you have my fullest sympathies and empathies um I know there are people who deal with this kind of stuff all the time and uh, I know that that is incredibly challenging so um, thinking of you and sending you my love anyway hopefully I can at least entertain you for the next hour well, it's, gonna be, it's gonna be like probably like nearly an hour and a half today I got I, like it just keeps happening I've got to get a handle on it um anyway yeah no major news other than that um just a little reminder again that I am doing a live show as part of the Quirk Podcast Festival that is coming up in August. There is a link in the show notes if you want to get a ticket. I would love for you to come and join. Um, also, there is going to be a new Patreon episode up next week. We're going to be talking about the Barbie movie. So if you're going to see it this weekend, definitely want to tune into that. It'll be there anyway. If you're going to see the movie next weekend or next week or whatever, it'll be there. Um, And uh, I am off on holidays this week um next week what are are those my feet like I barely know what day it is sorry guys it's been been a long day um but I am heading off on holidays next Wednesday so there is not going to be a usual episode but I will have something for you so uh don't worry you won't be left alone with nothing um and yeah that's it let's just get going because myself and Aoife had a lot to talk about so I hope you enjoy Aoife Moore my old friend um how are you doing old
3: struck and down with the lurgy Yeah, what I am. Yeah. Strucken, stricken, stricken. Sometimes you get
2: sick because you need to take some downtime, Aoife, you know that?
3: Yeah. Just saying that Uh,
2: apropos of nothing.
3: (laughs) (laughs) It's almost as if working yourself into the ground and going out drinking all the time is not good for your health.
2: Uh, That's not what I was saying. I was just saying that sometimes that's how the universe tells you to just take a moment and take care of yourself, you know?
3: Yeah, well, we will next week. Holidays.
2: Yeah, we're both going on holidays next week, guys. Um,
3: Not together, sadly.
2: No, that will be good. But no, we are separately going good. on holidays this week in a well-timed break. Um, So mm-hmm. you will not be hearing Efa next week, but do not worry. I'm sure you can make it through. Um, we will be back, guys, and we're all well the following week. Um, but let's get into the news because there's lots to talk about. Um, although, just to say from the get-go, we're not going to talk about RT this week is not amazing.
3: No, Old news.
2: Yeah. I mean, there's just nothing new to say, really, Um, aside from like minor things and which I'm sure we will discuss well, when they I become a, more I significant. A, I
3: have a complaint about the Ireland match later, but we
2: will talk about Well, yeah, yeah, exactly. OK, let's start with Tusla. So there was a lot of conversation about Tusla this week. Um, they are apparently in crisis and they are, of course, the child and family agency.
3: Yeah, so basically the the shortened version that everyone calls them is social services. They're yeah. social services. So yeah. um, they've had a really bad week because not only... <clears throat> we we actually talked about this not that long ago. So a letter that was written by a retired Dub- Dublin district judge, Dermot Sims, that was written to the government and TUSLA um, was made public in the last couple of weeks. And he said that TUSLA was facing an unprecedented crisis and said that he had major, major concerns about the care of children. Mm-hmm. And now this week, the TSLA themselves has said that it is risking not, it's failing to meet required standards of care due to the increased reliance on emergency arrangements to house children. Mm-hmm. So that means that vulnerable children are being put in hotel rooms, bed and breakfasts, Accommodations, like they were saying, holiday centers, Hmm. because there's nowhere else to put them. So there's now, well, during the week when this story first came out, um, up to 130 highly vulnerable children were in an unsuitable and unapproved placement, and they said, Tusla said themselves that they increasingly have had to house children in these emergency placements because of a shortage of space of appropriate residential care homes. Are due to the young person having incredibly complex needs. So, can you imagine, say, a young teenage girl who has behavioural problems, she might have like learning difficulties, being taken out of whatever home replacement she's in and put into a hotel room by herself? That's what we're at at the moment. This is disgraceful. Like, this is unforgivable. So, just to put it into perspective for people, Tisla receives about 82,83,000 referrals for child protection per year. At the end of last year, there was 22,000 cases open and 28% of those had yet to be designated a social worker. Um, And they are saying that this number is just getting bigger and bigger. And I know it'll be a lot to do with COVID-19 and the cost of living and the hangover from that as well. Um, We are on a lower level I believe compared to all our places on the children taken end care but more than 800 children were taken on the daycare last year sorry and i just just to go back on that
2: number that you said there at the end of at the end of the year about 22,000 cases were open 28% of them had yet to be allocated a designated social worker so that means that there were yeah. 6,160 cases where there was no social worker assigned no social worker
3: yeah like what so the they, fuck so no wonder like it's no wonder the children are falling through the cracks. This is and we are going to see more children, especially teenagers becoming homeless because they are falling through the cracks. So And let's um, be honest of,
2: about this because what we're talking about here when you when you put vulnerable young people who by the way have already been let down mm-hmm. by people in their lives because that's usually what happens for children mm-hmm. to end up in care in the first place. You know, these are vulnerable people who have already been let down, often have been traumatized. This this leads to death. This leads to sexual assault. This leads to addiction. sex trafficking. This leads mm-hmm. to addiction. Like this is this is this is unacceptable.
3: For me, I thought like one of the saddest statistics was there was eight hundred children taken into state care last year, and six hundred and sixty six of them it was their first time being admitted into care so that's like basically 80% of them mm-hmm. like this is the first time taken into care so there's around 6,000 children 5,755 children in care and 9, 10, 9 out of 10 of them are in foster care but the recruitment of foster carers remains a significant challenge so it's probably it's probably easier to describe it it's come down to like a number of things so we talk about the housing crisis all the time we talk about how we're not building enough houses for people. No one ever thinks about things like houses for disabled people, residential accommodation for children in foster care. We also have a lack of foster cares. It's a hugely emotionally tolling job. It can. I find our friend Amy's mummy and daddy do it. It's incredibly worthwhile and satisfactory, but it can be very difficult for people. Mm-hmm. There's also a monetary issue there. People don't believe you're paid enough to be a foster care. So there's lack of foster cares, and then also. TUSLA themselves, one of our friends, social worker in TUSLA, they will tell you that they are so overstretched. There is not enough social workers. So it's all these different factors that are leading to that. We are now seeing young people put into holiday centres and b You know, like, just looking at the statistics there about social workers, TUSLA pay- spending on pay for agency workers increased a 16 million last year. That, mm. like... <sighs> there are a hundred one thousand six hundred and twelve social workers employed by Tesla. Mm. we had dropped by 57 from the year before yeah I mean so look, we can't even these, keep the
2: social workers that we have all of these things like obviously it's a perfect cocktail for a disaster um mm. but you know it's just not good enough like there has to be more done you know to fix this like it's not acceptable to to literally play with vulnerable children's lives like (coughs) I feel like I say this over and over again on this fucking podcast like whether it's just the housing crisis in general and the impact that it's having on children now we're talking about children who are already in care being impacted in this even even more significant way like we like as a society it is unforgivable if we don't prioritize the well-being of children, as far as I'm concerned. Mm-hmm. If we can't even prioritize the well-being of vulnerable children who don't have, you know, consistent adults often in their lives. Like, I mean, really, that is an indictment of our of our society. And like, I get particularly head up about this because I have sat in a social worker's office while... You know, my mom was interviewed. I have been interviewed by a social worker. I have been separated from my parents. You know, I've experienced that trauma. And, you know, as a seven-year-old, and I know exactly what that feels like. But I was lucky because I had family members who were in a position and who were willing to take us in. And, you know, so when I think about these kids, I know what it feels like To have your life turned upside down. And even if you're coming from a dangerous, difficult, traumatic, worrying, upsetting situation as I was, you are still heartbroken because it's your Mm -hmm. parent. And it's so difficult and complex, even if you're going into a secure and stable or relatively secure and stable situation like so, to, to take those children in that situation and then put them into something that is completely inappropriate. Like it, it just. Sorry, I'm banging my microphone now. It 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 like it really hits me where it hurts. And I know that we all care about children. I'm not suggesting that I'm special, but I know what that feels like, and it breaks and my like, heart that we're failing them like this.
3: And it's you know, it's a lack of joined up thinking. That's what campaigners say: is a lack of joined up thinking on on each thing. So like. Helen McEntee, the Minister for Justice, was asked about this and she gave, you know, the standard kind of government line of much more needs to be done. However, she made the point, and I actually agree, she says that it's not about one department, but there are a number of strategies. So for things like, so we're talking about lack of social workers, right? There's 22, 220 social workers graduating this year. Only 163 of them have been offered a permanent job in Tusla. And the head of Tusla said that they need 105 they need another 500 social workers to qualify every year to get what we require so that to me is an issue with the department of higher education mm. why is there not a question there about getting rid of the fees to train people as social workers or people who may have trained as nurses and has retired or moved to a different job or how them do we encourage
2: encourage people you know market De- the foster. field like yeah. all of that kind of stuff yeah like Ugh. a
3: public information campaign about yeah. fostering or making it easier for people to foster or single people or, you know, all this sort of stuff. So, yeah, it's really, really, really disappointing. Um, and I, I think you said it best. I don't have anything more powerful to say than, mm-hmm. than you have. Okay, let's move on.
2: Um, <coughs> Leah Varadkar went to Ukraine this week. It was described as a surprise visit and um, we well, haven't touched down in ukraine in in some time actually
3: yes so we'll start with the irish angle so t-shirt went to kiev this week um and he as he said it was a surprise visit they're always surprised because yeah. you can't tell the russians where Zelensky is um fratiker visited the i thought this was really nice do you remember a couple of weeks ago that the actor who was performing in the Abbey Theatre was attacked in Dublin? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so, Fragger travelled to the theatre uh, company and met with the man who was attacked. He apologised. He said he was sorry. And he said, um, that Fragger had asked who he was. And he said, yes, everything is fine. Everything is perfect. And the Taoiseach said, I'm sorry for what happened. Dublin is my hometown, but sometimes it's not 100% safe, unfortunately. Mm. And the young man said, all places are like that. Which mm. was, I thought was very sweet. Yeah. I still feel un- unbelievably bad.
0: Mm. But um,
3: there was quite powerful and touching moments. So Vragor gave his commitment to the people of Ukraine and we will continue to offer our help. Then he went to Bucha, So that's where there was like this huge massacre of Ukrainian civilians last year. Over 1400 people died. Um. Thousands more were injured. Um, and he went with the defense minister of Ukraine, and you know there was like a minute silence, and like there were still like burnt out tanks like around the place and stuff. Mm. Um, so it's a real kind of I don't know touchstone or like memory of you know how bad this war has been. Mm. Um, so that was the Tishik. He announced an an additional five million euro in humanitarian funding. Mm-hmm. Um, and. Yeah, it was just an all round. I was always saying nice visit, but you know what I mean. Yeah. But Zelensky thanked him. He said he was very grateful, and he said, "Now you have seen with your own eyes the consequences of war, the consequences of Russia, ag- Russian aggression." And I would like to thank the whole people of Ireland for hosting our nationals in Ireland. This is a significant moral support of our nation. Mm. So currently, there are eighty six thousand Ukrainian citizens, um, receiving accommodation in Ireland. Wow. So there you that's are. That's a lot. Um. Yeah. It's mm. like nearly the size of Derry. <laughs> yeah. Um so I know that's what you were all thinking. That's how we measure yes, things. That's how we measure so things, yeah. There so the recent because we haven't talked about Ukraine in mm. a while. So there has been a lot going on. So there has been a lot more uh Russian attacks mm. on port studies like Odessa. We have seen um a bridge in Crimea damaged. Now the Russians said it was Ukrainians and the Ukrainians said it was Russians. Mm. Um I I don't know who you believe, but um this week, then, their, the Russians said that they would be ending their... um They had a deal to export grain. So it was Ukrainian grain, because we know that Ukraine um exports like most of the world's grain. Mm. They had a deal that they could still export it across the Black, Black Sea, even uh, though the war was on. So places like other countries, like China and India and all those countries, re- mm. rely on Ukrainian grain. Russian now says no we're not doing this anymore um they said that they would target any ship sailing around ukrainian ports as a military target mm. um as they pulled out of this deal and they have said that so they will basically bomb any ship that they see what we've seen because of this is the global grain prices have gone up um but they still are lower than when do you remember the price of bread went up low yeah um yeah so it hasn't still gone up that high from when they first started the war but mm. it is it's still higher than it was mm. the un kept come out about it and said you know this is weaponizing hunger mm. they've already weaponized energy they've already weaponized immigration now they're weaponizing hunger mm. we are seeing that we knew that this would happen because putin is on the back foot after um you know his mercenary pals yeah turned on him there is more um just what's the right word? More dissatisfaction within the Russian military. We now have Russian military leaders um, openly criticizing the war effort rather than the war itself. And last but not least, I thought people should know about this because I did not hear enough about it this week. Not only is Russia deporting Ukrainian children into Russia and stealing them, now Belarus are doing Russia's dirty work as well. So Belarus is taking Ukrainian children and transporting them through Belarus and to Russia and making it difficult for the parents to ever get them back and putting them into camps. Oh my God. There is, we don't know how many numbers um, of children who actually have gone. Um, The Belarusian Red Cross um, admitted that they had transported 700 children from Ukraine in June. But the... The Belarusian opposition said it's more than 2,000. That's just in
1: June. Um, The Red Cross?
3: Yeah. Oh my god. um, Yeah. um, According to them, Lukashenko, the president, personally signs the documents related to the commission of a war crime. Um, So they're saying that they're taking the children for rehabilitation. Yeah. That they're like, it's like what China did with the Uyghurs in China. They like give them a re-education to make them Russian, basically. Oh or like what God. did the Aboriginal people in Australia? Yeah. So that's that's Ukraine. Sorry, guys. Wow. We'd left it for a while.
2: Okay, guys. We've got a couple of other bad stories to get through, but we do have good stuff to end on for the most part. So just
3: stick this, with us. Y- yeah. Oh, God. These two are like, okay. So the world is on fire. That's um, the next one. Yeah. <laughs> the world is on fire. The It is so hot across the world that in the Northern Hemisphere there has been like a worldwide strain on healthcare citizen uh, systems. Um, the heat. The WHO came out this week and said that the heat often worsens pre-existing conditions, especially people with cardiovascular disease, diabetes and asthma. We have seen elderly people in Greece, Italy and Spain, dying from heat-related illnesses. Um, now, the, obviously, the climate crisis comes back into this, but for just anecdotal human things, Passengers on a Delta flight to leave Las Vegas on Monday, um, said the plane was so hot inside and it didn't have air conditioning that they were like feared for their lives. Mm. Um, there is devastating floods across Vermont. The smoke came- coming from the California wildfires has returned to New York. Um, Egypt is in the middle of power cuts. Kentucky has flooded homes and vehicles because it's burst its banks, and parts of Europe. Um, are experiencing a severe heatwave and protesters in Scotland have blockaded two oil sites and said they are going to shut down the Scottish oil industry in return for what is happening and Greek meteorologists are warning that the worst is still yet to come as they are going to get a second heatwave next week
2: I mean what do you say about this (laughs) this is climate change
3: this is climate change this is Terrifying um climate protesters um just, just stop oil are being increasingly criminalized, increasingly arrested, yet we are seeing more people now die than ever mm. because of heat-related illnesses. Um there is wildfires now across Europe.
2: The, uh, I don't know, like. I don't know what to say. I don't, <laughs> don't know what, know to, what say. to say. This is fucking awful. Like,
3: yeah, we're going to see this every summer. We're going to get wetter winters. We're going to get hotter summers. And I do not. I don't know if there's anyone more. If 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 you know this, please write on us or WhatsApp us. But like, is there any government who are like up there? You know, like doing this right. Because I don't know enough about the climate other than I'm too warm. No, I do have a fever, but I am too warm. (laughs) Oh, yeah. I mean, like I was sweating in my bed last night and I was like, is this the fever or is this just climate change? It's hard to know.
2: Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I don't know. Like as has been well discussed here, this is not my area of expertise. But it well, is well, look at it this way: this way. Flying,
3: flying in Europe is thirty times cheaper than the train. Right? There's an There's an idea. Let's make trains cheaper. Well, so let's make trains cheaper. But
2: also, like I came across. Um, Some TikToks this week of protesters who were at the airport in the Hamptons in New York, which obviously is where the
3: Hamptons has its own airport.
2: Well, whatever the the local one is, helicopter or or, like
3: private planes, yeah, yeah.
2: So they were protesting because it's mostly private planes that use the airport, and Mm. um, I'm sorry, I'm just googling the statistics so I get it right. Um, But basically, private flight. Is responsible for a very significant portion of uh, carbon emissions Um, and 5.3 million tons of CO2 in the last three years. Like, I think it's something like, I don't want to get this wrong, but it's a huge percentage of all emissions, are private jets. And According to Transport and Environment, which is European Clean Transport Group, a person flying on a private jet emits 10 to 20 times as much carbon pollution as a commercial airline passenger. So even if we just banned private Private jets, like, Mm -hmm. like, there's no, there is no reason for it.
3: I want to get on a plane and I want Taylor Swift and the real housewives from Beverly Hills sitting beside me. But like No more private planes for you bitches.
2: Honestly, though, like why not? Like why not? Get and go first class or business class. Like you know, you just don't yeah. need to be on your own plane. I'm sorry, there's no excuse for it at this stage. Okay, that's that's what I've that's where I've chosen to lay my ire. That's my contribution to this. Um, it is yeah. it is very troubling. Um, okay, now this. Speaking of troubling, I, this story broke my heart this week.
3: Yeah. Okay, so this comes with a huge trigger warning. So yeah. if you don't want to hear about sexual abuse or incest, just don't listen. Um, a girl in Ireland who called the Garda two years ago to report her older brother sexually abusing her is still on a witness for a counsellor. Two years. The, wee- the boy is now 16. Neither of them have been identified, but he pled guilty to the oral rape of his sister between 2018 and 2021. He has no previous convictions. Of course he doesn't, because she was aged between 9 and 12. He was aged between 11 and 14. The children have been separated. They now live with a parent each which i can imagine Um, is very gotta be difficult fair play to those parents yeah it's tough i don't i don't know if i have the sorry my phone just went there i don't know if i would have the patience Mm. or was understanding i don't know so paul mcdermott um a really well-known judge here justice paul mcdermott said that he had a plethora of reports under the wee boy and said that no one had mentioned to him what was happening to the girl Mm. um she is too young this is devastating. She is too young to get counsel on from the rape crisis centre, and he said in that case, then the services for the wee girl seem to have put on the long finger. The justice um talked a lot about her bravery mm. because she called the guard. She didn't even um
2: Good for her. Far as
3: I know, tell the parents, she opened the door to the guardy in the middle of the night. Jesus, um, so brave. Yeah. Um. She said that he said, sorry, that her victim impact statement was very sad and moving from a child of her age because she's still a child. Mm. Um, she was very damaged and hurt. She had had no counselling, psychiatric assessment or support apart from her parents. Mm. Um, he said that <laughs> the reports before the court in relation to the boy are appropriate and helpful, but it noted the absence of professional support and is in a marked contrast to the boy and his difficulties. The judge said even though it's his job to concentrate on what to do about the boy, he said um, he found it very jarring that there was nothing in relation to the girl. He told the boy that there was no doubt he knew what he was doing because he was in the early hours of the morning and he told her that she would get in trouble. Mm. And he said there is some suggestion that he didn't have a full appreciation of the damage he's done to his sister, but he did say he knew it was wrong. And he said there's even if he didn't know it was wrong, that start that sits in contrast with his younger sister, who was too only too well aware that it was wrong. He said to the wee boy that if he was an adult, he would be looking at ten to fifteen years imprisonment as a starting point. Mm. And he did note that the boy had challenging behaviour, and cannabis use, um, and he was in a young man in need of intensive supervision and guidance. He said a headline sentence of six years detention, which will be Oberstown because he's a youth. Um, he said that the one hugely positive factor in his favor is that he's still viewed as a member of his family. Mm-hmm. So he got three years and six months in Oberstown and deferred for a year. What is that girl going through? Oh my God. Like And like, do the, do the parents see, from what the judges said, that the, the parents do still see each other because they still sort of remain a family? Mm-hmm. Um, God, it's excruciating.
2: And it's for just in our story about yeah. why we
3: treat where we treat vulnerable like surely the first priority should be to get that we get help honestly from
2: like and like sorry yeah. but like if not i'm not being glib but like you know underage children being abused in this country is nothing new why is there no. not a structure in place why yeah. is there not a structure in place? And if there is a structure in place, why is it not working? Why is this girl waiting for two years? Like it's, oh, look guys, I'm like super conscious of the fact that the stories have been a lot this week. Unfortunately, we re- we tell you what's happened and the things that are mm-hmm. relevant and we think that are relevant to the things that you care about. And I'm really sorry that they're so grim this week. But we do have a positive note to finish on um, because yes. we need to talk about the absolute joy and like wonder of a person that Razadat Adeleke is um we I think most people at this stage are familiar with her and the fact that she's an absolutely friggin' incredible runner but tell us about what happened
3: she's a dog who yeah. runs so she in her first race so she was running in like amateur uh, championships in her first professional race Razadat Adeleke came second to the world champion
2: yeah, but like what a woman! But this week was enormous for her because she's been like yes. in in Texas running for like in college and and absolutely yes. kicking ass. She announced mm-hmm. this week she's going professional. She announced that she has a new sponsorship relationship with Nike, with and Nike. then she ran in her first professional race and came second to the world champion.
3: She's like, unbelievable. People need to Google the photos, the Nike photographs. They're so they cool. are amazing. Yeah, They're so so good. So she only recently signed a professional contract and she came second. It was her first race in five and a half weeks since she won the NCAA championships in Austin. She smashed her own Irish record there and uh, which put her fourth in the world this year and then while she had another year of eligibility, re- eligibility remaining at the University of Texas she said that she chose to accept one of the many offers to turn professional. So she did and she came Second.
2: She's amazing. What a woman. It's going to be so exciting to watch her career. Like she's just, she's already amazing. And I think it's only going to get better. And then quickly before we go, obviously the, uh, we are recording this. It's a 20 past five on Thursday evening and the women of the Irish women's national team played their first world cup match ever in history this morning. And they were bloody brilliant.
3: It's, it's the hope that kills you, isn't it? Yeah, we were beat. We were beat, but it was so close. So we were beaten by Australia 1 0. We were 0 0 at a half time. Uh, we worked 5 4 1 through an intense first half and kept their shape. Everyone, I when we went into the second half, like I was texting you and like, okay, come on, guys. like yeah. We can do this. Now, it would also, um, for people who don't watch uh, women's football, Australia. The Bateldas are known as One of the best lady Yeah they're brilliant In the world
2: And obviously they're playing um, at home Host of the tournament Like yes. they had every advantage yeah.
3: There was a great Irish crowd there There was a lot of singing Because obviously There's a lot of Irish people live mm. in Sydney and Australia And stuff anyway But we were Outdone even in the Like the, the supporters But We will go again We're playing Canada next mm-hmm. We can beat them They're too polite We'll just knock them over Well
2: They're <laughs> They're very good Eva. <laughs> Listen, they're we're very good. Them over. Here's the thing, right? It, just, in, I mean, I obviously have been banging on about this a lot um, on various platforms, but like, if you're just for the for people who don't who don't know, our group is really hard. Australia, excellent yes. home nation. Canada, I think, are the Olympic champions. Yes. Um they are absolutely brilliant. <laughs> um, no doubt about that. They're like really, really good. And um, then Nigeria are the best football team in Africa, and that is really saying something. So, like, you know, Mm -hmm. it's a difficult group, but, you know, by rights, if you looked at everything on paper, we should have had our asses kicked this morning and we didn't. We made it really difficult for them and they won. They got a penalty like, you know, we really could have definitely gotten a draw and we could have won it. We didn't. That's okay. But we we were fantastic
3: and we have Uh, a lot to be proud of. I would say that my keep it this week. I know it's a different podcast, but my keep it this week is keep it to the R do RTE sound quality. Oh my god So the RTE stream had audio issues. The audio was before or behind the actual picture. So the national anthem was ruined. Um and then for a good bit of it, I just had a black screen. Like I couldn't see anything. And then it kept coming back. Like it was, I think it was um Stephanie Roach and Richie Sadler that were doing the commentary yeah. and it was like coming back and going like into a black screen. It was, they apologized and said that they were doing everything we can to rectify for the second half. So hopefully it'll be sorted in that few minutes. But my heart was in my throat. No, you have to say second half is much better. Mm. But listen, they're they're streaming from far away. It's the other side of the world. Yeah. They've had a lot going on with Tubbs. Like maybe they
2: right. <laughs> going mm. on. Sure. Um, I think that I think it was George Hamilton doing the commentary. Um, but it doesn't matter. Anyway, the point is, it was out of sync for I think like twenty-eight minutes or something. Yeah, it was not great. Like I, I saw someone no, saying, wasn't. like it was basically an open goal. for Forty, the World Cup should have been like a huge victory, but no, hmm. um, not a great one. But and but look, I really think I feel really positive. I think we did great. I think we should be so proud of those girls. I'm and looking forward to it. on to next Wednesday. Exactly. Okay, Aoife uh, we have talked for far too long as usual. Um. <laughs> I love you. Goodbye.
3: Love you. Bye.
2: If you're a regular listener to this podcast, you will have heard me talking to Sophie White before. She is an author and uh, writer who is a friend of mine um, and also has written lots of books that I know that loads of you love. She also is a presenter of two podcasts, Mother of Pod and The Creep Dive. And her most recent book, not her most recent book, sorry, she has so she's so prolific that it's actually hard to keep track of it. Her not the the most recent one, but the one before that book, Where I End, a horror novel, was nominated for an absolutely massive award recently. And I was so excited about it because Sophie is so talented and I think under-acknowledged, frankly, in Ireland. Um, So anyway, yes, she was nominated for this big award and I had said to her that I wanted to talk to her about it because it is such a big deal and um you know I was so happy for her and it's great to see her success and everything and she was going away to the award ceremony and I was like cool I'll catch you on the flip side well she only she only won the award she had to go to Boston because that's how big and fancy it is it's a big fancy award for horror writing specifically um and she won she won it's so amazing she won the Shirley Jackson award um for where I end and we had such a great chat about it because as her friend I've seen Sophie go from literally being on the verge of giving up to being the successful author that she is now, and now getting this kind of international recognition. It's such a big deal. Um, And I think that her story and her experience of going from genuinely being on the verge of giving up to where she is now is really inspirational. It certainly inspires me, and I hope it will inspire you too. Sophie White, winner of the Shirley Jackson Prize. Is that the full name of it? Yes. The Shirley Jackson Prize. It is... I am thrilled. I wanted to talk to you about the Shirley Jackson Prize and being nominated for it anyway. Mm. But then you fucking won it. I know.
1: <laughs> I know. It like, was really surprising. Even
2: before you went, I was like, oh, I really would love to have you on the podcast to talk about this. We, I know. I don't think we
1: ever spoke about where I end on this podcast kind of extensively. No, because we had chatted earlier last year about the snag list. Yeah. And then you just we keep- chatted really recently about um, Lewis, Capaldi. <laughs> Lewis, but also, I mean, me being me, I did squeeze in a bit of shilling from my hot friend during that. But Where I End, uh, c- yeah, it came out between those two books. yeah, And it came out last October. And yeah, it was so random. It got shortlisted for the Shirley Jackson Award, I think it's called. Yeah, Sorry,
2: and no, explain to people I what just it is. I told
1: you the complete wrong thing. <laughs> um, it's, so it's like an American award for... I'm quoting from the website, excellence in psychological suspense or horror. And it has previously been won by literally Stephen King <laughs> and Carmen Maria Machado and Paul Tremblay, like heroes, yeah. my heroes. <laughs> and so when I got the news that I was shortlisted, like it made no sense on so many levels because. Where I End is published here and in the UK. It's not even published in America currently. Um, That will hopefully change now. Yeah. And it like, it just was really, really out of left field and I was actually in a field Mm -hmm. when I heard because I was walking through Beyond the Pale a few weeks ago with Jen O'Dwyer, um, my best friend and co-host on my podcast and I was behind her and I went, wait, I can't do it because my voice is gone. (laughs) (laughs) I went, I can't do it. I basically went, ah, like that. And um, she turned around thinking I had like encountered some, I don't know, like human feces or something terrifying that you would stumble across at a festival. And then I was like, this is so insane. I've been nominated for this American award that's like the award for horror. And what the hell? How do the Americans know about me? What? Um, so, yeah, so that all kind of happened. And how it came to pass is very random as well, it, which is, just goes to show. Do you remember um, when, when Lady Gaga was doing all the junkets for mm-hmm. A Star is Born? And there can they, be
2: 100 people in a room. That's it. And 99 of them. What is yeah. it might might not care about you or might not yeah. see you or whatever? All
1: it takes is, is one. one person. Bradley yeah. Cooper. And like <laughs> somebody did a super cut of all those uh, interviews yeah. of her doing the anecdote over and over. It was absolutely brilliant. Um, but I mean, it just takes one random so person. So there was this woman who's called Ellen Datlow and she is huge in horror and she is an editor. So she curates anthologies of horror stories. And like, I have no idea how she came by where I end, but she did. And she um, basically like recommended it, like kind of put it forward to the board of advisees on the yeah. Shirley Jackson and it got shortlisted. And like that was enough. Yeah. I was like, I've won. I have won by being shortlisted because there's like five other novels in the novel category. Like yeah. it's small yeah. and it was cool. Very cool.
2: And you won. And then I just won. It's so amazing. (laughs) It's amazing because, I mean, look, we'll get there. But as your friend, I was thinking on the way over here. And one of the reasons that I wanted to talk to you is because I think so many people will really get something from this. I remember... I mean, really not that long ago, six years ago, five and a half years ago, sitting at tables with you and you saying you're just going to give it up, like there was no point. Mm. Agents weren't responding in the way that you wanted them to in terms of, you know, books that you'd written. You weren't happy with various different responses. Y- oh, God, you, yeah.
1: With so many clear, times. The various responses were just rejections. <laughs> <laughs> Would you believe I was unhappy with all the rejections? Okay, so
2: you were getting rejected. No, thank, Let's you. Just... thank you for putting it no, gently. No, but you're right. That Let's say it as it is. It's easier for me to
1: say it. Just well, rejections.
2: Because the thing is, you know, you were in a place where you were getting so many rejections that you genuinely, repeatedly said, like, I think I'm going to pack it in.
1: Yeah. And yeah. you really meant it. I did. And I didn't mean it in a stroppy way. No, it like wasn't sometimes coming sometimes across was that probably way. stroppy. Well, But moments. most of the time, I really was just interrogating... Like, how much can I really keep going on with this in terms of just, like, my emotional wellness around it? Because, like, making art is, like, emotionally taxing. Yeah. And to pretend otherwise is completely naive and, like, you know... And I think there's some kind of bravado around certain artists, men, not saying men, (laughs) um, men, that they kind of say that... They don't let it get to them or, mm. you know, and I think anyone who's like coming from a lesser represented group and obviously like cis white woman, I'm hardly a lesser represented at this point. But like, you know, you're still f- I think f- like we're all still fighting for yeah. stories to get told um, that aren't the kind of cis male white gay. Yeah. So look. um. So, yeah, I just it was it was just like eroding me a bit, yeah. I think. Over and over getting rejections for work and I think I had just started to say to myself, okay, I think I'm really going to only give it another year Mm. and then I'm actually going to kind of take a break or forget about it. Yeah. And I think at that time I'd had one book published,
2: mm-hmm.
1: but that book had been published in freak circumstances. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like I had no idea at the time just how crazy that story had been. Like that was an a, a publisher approaching me, and mm-hmm. um, because I was writing a cooking column at the time, and asking me if I wanted to do a book of my cooking columns, and I said no. I'd like to do a cookbook, but about this other thing, Mm. which was a breakdown I had when I was in my early 20s. So that was how Recipes for a Nervous Breakdown kind of came about. And that was my first book. And like, it did really badly. And commercially speaking. Yeah. Um, it's a really good book. Uh, thank you. And actually, like, it continues to have a life. It's really interesting. Like, I was at a book event only a few months ago. And in the signing queue, somebody had it mm. for me to sign. And I was like, oh, my God, that is so nice. It's out of print. It's impossible to get it, mm. uh, as people are constantly telling me. Um, yeah. And it's so it's lovely to hear that people are still trying to seek it out and that people are, like, have their copy and, yeah. like, prize it. Yeah, but we both
2: know that, like... It, the success of a book in Ireland isn't necessarily about how good the book is um, or anywhere, internationally, anywhere. Like, it, it's about so many different elements. It's about marketing. It's about timing. It's about, oh, you know, lots of different, you know, support from your publisher. Like, there's so many different factors that kind of, you know, play into whether a book is successful or not, which I think is, like, it is, is one of the reasons that you winning the Shirley Jackson Award mm-hmm. is so special because it did happen by this kind of, you know, just strange sequence of events that, like, are, are
1: almost inexplicable. I know. Not that I know. it's not
2: deserved, but just in terms of, you, it, it you know, ever in terms of it getting yeah, there, yeah, it exactly. ever getting
1: into the room was seemed so, un- like, is so unlikely. Yeah. Um, and I often wonder, like, is that part of, did that come into the judges' minds even that this is like, I truly, where the hell did this book come from? I mean, whatever. You can't really make it. You can't really make a call. But like, yeah. So at the time that I was really like, I really am thinking that I can't take this Mm. anymore. And like, I tried so hard to like divorce my self-esteem from my like art, as it were. And like, I genuinely think it's really hard to. And I also don't know what kind of art I would make Mm. if it wasn't really knit into who I am. Yeah. Like what? Do you know that kind of way? Like, I don't know if I would be able to write the books I write and the stories I write.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, if they didn't mean so much to me. Yeah. Because I think that's the thing about, like, if you are a novelist or a writer, you spend so much time with the work that, mm. like, I mean, if you weren't caring going into it, you're absolutely fucked yeah. because you're going to spend potentially a year of your life working on it, yeah. depending on the book. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so that's it. I, I kind of just I worked on trying to divorce my sense of self from the work I was trying to create. And that just wasn't like possible, possible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then I do remember like the my first novel, um, which did amazing and was a bestseller and was nominated, award nominated, it's been killing me that for like seven years I've only ever been able to put award nominated in my bio, and now I can fucking finally, <laughs> yes, put award winning. Come on! But <laughs> well, my first novel was born out of rejection as well. Yeah. Do you remember this? That filter this um, had been a TV yeah. pitch first, mm-hmm. and it had like I was working with a production company on the pitch. Uh, for television which again was like a really big step forward for me as a writer like I had wanted to do a tv show and didn't even know the first thing about going about it I still didn't even have an agent at that point mm. which is so useful now yeah. um and when the pitch for Filter to this was turned down I remember talking to my cousin about it who um is a screenwriter and a playwright and she was just like... The amount of work you put into a TV pitch is massive. Mm. Like, you... And she was like, oh, look, you've done all this work. You may as well just write it as a novel and then sell the rights to the novel. And I was like, you fucking write it as a novel. <laughs> you fucking crazy. That sounds really hard. And at the time, I hadn't written non-fiction. I'd yeah. only written non-fiction. Yeah. And, but like, her words kind of stuck in my head. And so I did write it as a novel and I did sell the rights to the yeah. novel. So it is mad how if things do come around.
2: Yeah, it's amazing.
1: Yeah, it's weird. And things never, I think that's the other thing, and like you must find it as well with your book, things never go away. They continue to have a life beyond you as the creator. Mm. And you cannot predict what that life journey is. Like, you know, for example, Recipes for Nervous Breakdown, like commercial flop, totally... Like, a book that was amazing for me because it was, like, it taught me how to write a book, essentially. Mm. And it had great reviews and it was a great thing to be able to pitch my novel with, like, I already have a book under my belt. But, like, that now is in development for a TV show. So that's, like, seven seven years after the fact yeah. like I am still working on that story in yeah. a different way which yeah. is so exciting like
2: yeah and, and honestly like I mean I'll be honest for me it's really inspirational like I had a, a production company approach me about my book kind of just they were like look you could make seven tv shows out of this and if you want to do that like talk to us because yeah you know. and I was like yeah and I was like I don't know how to do that and I don't have time yeah. <laughs> so I was like I'll just file that away like had a had a quick meeting with them but like you know but watching you do this has made me kind of go like because you've managed you have a work ethic like no one I know like Sophie's never doing one thing at a time this is actually miraculous that she's just talking to me right now like she's (laughs) she's always like making a cake and also writing an email at the same time or like you know she's always got a lot going on um but watching you kind of Uh, doing exactly what you described, like, you know, going with the life of these pieces of work that you've produced is so inspirational. It has made me go, maybe I could, maybe I could look at that because, you know, I... I, 100%.
1: Yeah.
2: I I was going to say, like, I have a kind of a bit of a complex relationship with my book, I think, which I think you'll understand that, like, it didn't, you know, I don't view it... It's not in the successes kind of category in my brain um, yeah. Even though I am proud of it, I just don't feel like it did what I wanted it to do. Yeah. Um. So it would be nice to see it um kind of take on a new life. So I think you know, just I personally have have taken a lot of inspiration from watching you um kind of work with your your stuff and you know allow them to have their own life. So I'm sure lots of other people will as well.
1: Can the I ask? Thing with
2: Is as well. Sorry, how? Like, I always manage to make it about me.
1: (laughs) No, not at all. Sorry, not at all. Oh my god, Um, I was wanking on too much there. Like, thank God we're breaking it up a bit. (laughs) But the thing with Fat Chance is that the the themes explored, like this, and now, and I'm going to sound like a fucking. This is going to sound like a circle jerk between the two of us. So forgive us, listener, but. I almost think Fat Chance was, like, just ahead of its time. Like, as in all of the themes, like, around body image and, like, fat liberation that you talk about in Fat Chance. Like, they caught fire, like, in the next year and two years Mm. in a way that they weren't in 2016 when Fat Chance came out. Yeah. And, like, so... Like, that's annoying, <laughs> just annoying. But also, it does mean that, like, people are constantly on different stages of that journey to mm. self acceptance or waking up to fat phobia mm. and. Uh, the diet culture that we've all grown up in. So, like, people are coming to Fat Chance all the time, mm. again and again. Do you know that kind yeah. of way? So, yeah, that's happening.
2: Yeah. Anyway, um, uh, uh, enough about me. Um, when I like, wanted to the same
1: recipes for your breakdown. <laughs> people are having breakdowns all the time, Louise. It's fucking great. <laughs> it's fucking evergreen content. Never ends. Never ends. <laughs> um, I wanted to ask you
2: about um, because you are, I think relatively unusual in terms of the diversity of the kind of writing that you've done because obviously you know recipes for nervous breakdown is part cookbook part memoir Ooh. then you have your book of essays corpsing which is just um, like incredible nonfiction essays I think they're so brilliant and um, then you've got filter this um Unfiltered. Unfiltered, sorry. The, snag the snag list. list. No, I'm only
1: getting it right because they're over there. I'm yeah. just looking at them on my little stack of books. And My Hot Friend, which are all like
2: really fun. Um, Chicklets. Y-
1: yeah. And yeah. then
2: you've got where, where I End, which is like <laughs> so wildly different. Like, <laughs> but feels to me... Like, I was listening to, Sophie does a a podcast with her aforementioned best pal, Jenna Dwyer, who's also my friend. I was listening to them on the way over here. And Jen was saying, and I've heard Jen say this for years, that, like, for her, you were always going to write horror.
1: Like, that was what you were Mm. destined to do. All this other stuff you've been doing has just been filler as far as she's concerned. Oh, completely. To get to to this. Like, Jen, so supportive, but impatient (laughs) (laughs) On, on all the other books. She'd be like, oh, this again, holding, like, yet another bright pink cover. And, like, I adore... Chiclet. Like yeah, me obviously too. as a genre or I wouldn't write it. Yeah. And like, you know, like my biggest hero is Marion Keys. Mm. You know, I mean I know obviously she is all our queen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But um so but I've loved her since I was twelve. Although mm. I've never had the balls to say that. Two Marion Keys. Yeah, I wouldn't. Yes, I feel like it would be negative. <laughs> She'd yeah. be like, okay. She'd be like, okay, enough of that. Thanks. <laughs> Stop reminding me. Um, but it's not our fault. You were a child when you became you successful, Marion. Exactly. Um, so yeah, her like that's again actually like. I say that it's t- totally left field that Where I End ended up in front of the right people at the right moment um, to be in the running for the Shirley Jackson Award. But also, Where I End came about as a novel very oddly as well. Mm. So, like, basically, I didn't have any. I Like, I love reading horror Like, and I love horror movies. Horror is my favorite genre of film. I, at Christmas time, when everyone else is doing their like Family Stone watch and their like Muppets Christmas Carol watch. I like, I do those too, but I also do a personal horror marathon every Christmas. Yeah. Um, just to cheer me up. Yeah, you love it. I it's, love you it. You love the darkness. I love yeah. it. And obviously I do the Creep Dive, which is like just drenched in darkness. Another podcast that I do with Jan Dwyer and Cassie Delaney plug. And um, so I, but I always thought... Like, people say that making people laugh is the hardest thing. Mm. And I have always thought making people scared is harder than making people laugh. And, like, I like to think my other novels make people laugh. Yeah. I, I, I hear they, they do. They do. Um, so I just, but I just thought writing horror would be just the hardest thing. And um, it wasn't until I was writing corpsing. And now, the funny thing is, like you said, I've always worked on projects kind of concurrently. Yeah. So when I was writing corpsing, I was writing unfiltered my second novel mm. as well. And they're, again, two very different yeah. things, like chick lit on the one hand, and then this kind of literary nonfiction. And Corpsing, after I wrote the first draft, I brought it to my editors, Lisa and Sarah at Tramp Press, who, oh my God, I'm just so lucky to like work with. Like I just wouldn't be producing the work that I am and I'm proud of without mm. them. But... I gave it to them. They obviously read it. This is how it works. They come back. Editors come back and give you the, like, they help you see the trees for the wood. Mm. Wood for the trees. <laughs> Whatever it is. You've gone so lost in a project. You're yeah. lost in the sauce and you just need someone separate to be like, this is what's working. This is where you're going way yeah. off track. And they were like, this is brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> obviously. And then they were like, <laughs> because you always have to sandwich in the criticism. Yeah. <laughs> and they were like, this is brilliant. And then I think it was Sarah was like, have you thought about the fact that this, what you're actually writing here is a kind of horror? And I was like, no. And at the time, the book didn't have its title yet. Mm -hmm. And what it had was the second or third essay was called Corpsing. Mm -hmm. Um, And she was like, here's what I think. I think you should call it corpsing and I think that you should lean into the, the darkness, graphic and the yeah. horror that you have in here. And so while corpsing, I I hear like, is this definitely a funny book. There is a lot of like horror motifs. Yeah, 100%. And a lot of references. And brilliantly
2: done. Well, oh, thank you. So then was it that then that made you think you could do?
1: Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. So it was like, I was finishing work on corpsing and um, it had come out... Like, I was so, I was, I am so proud of how it did in terms of, like, I have just, I have a folder downstairs full of letters from readers. Wow. And it, because I suppose Corpseing talked about alcoholism and it talked Mm. about grief and it talked about mental illness and it talked Mm. about motherhood. And they were all, like, just I think that they're the kind of topics that, like, if you feel a connection mm-hmm. to material, you you feel very moved to Well, because, because they're, they're all isolating experiences. Exactly. Yeah. Like so I've written to writers whose works say around alcoholism helped me yeah. so much. And like it's so it's amazing. Like in terms of just that and in terms of like being nominated for awards and things like that. Mm. Um I was so very proud of it. And then basically I had very vaguely been making mutterings to Lisa, my editor on Corpsing, about, oh, this horror story that's, like, noodling around my head. Mm. But when I say horror story, I mean, like, literally, like, an opening line. Mm. Like, there was nothing. There mm. was nothing. And then we went to lunch to celebrate Corpsing being nominated for an award. And by the end of the lunch, like, I'd left with, like, we'd made a deal for a horror novel. Mm. And it was, like, kind of the November of 2021. 20, and... Sarah, I believe it was Sarah, I'm gonna blame Sarah, was like, wouldn't it be really cool if we had it by Halloween? And released it at Halloween. And I was like, next Halloween? And she was like, Next Halloween. It can be like a novella. It doesn't and have to be too long. By the way,
2: just so people who don't know, like books take fucking ages. Like yeah. aside from like outside of the writing, there's months and months and months of production work that go into them. Oh, completely. Yeah, so that's a that's a very short time scale. It's a
1: very fast turnaround. It was a huge huge roll of the dice on the part of Sarah and Lisa. Like I'm Mm. so indebted to them for trusting me because especially Tramp is like a very kind of boutique press. Mm. They have like, you know, three to four titles a year Mm. only. So like to give me a slot on Mm -hmm. that list was massive, especially when they had seen nothing. And they'd asked me what it was about and I was like very vaguely like an island. And it was mad. But I was actually at a, uh, a talk with Joan O'Ryan about a week ago, and he's amazing. Oh my god, he's so fab. Like Seb came to the talk with me, and Seb just kept being like, and he's straight. And yeah. I was like, yeah, yeah, he's so straight. Seb is Sophie's husband. And yeah, and like afterwards, like Seb was like, God, he's just one of the finest among us. Um, and then he was like, I just still can't believe he's. Straight? Like, he's such a good guy. (laughs) It was amazing. Like, he's such a good guy. He's so funny about his work and he's so talented. And anyway, he was saying how he thinks every writer has one easy book in them. Mm. Like, one 12-week novel. Yeah. um, Meaning you'd write it in 12 weeks. And I was like... I looked at Seb and Seb looked at me knowing what I was thinking and he was like oh you've already had yours haven't yeah. you and that was where I end and where I end was a six weeks novel yeah. I fucking like oh my god I don't know I just like it just poured out, p- out of you pummeled the laptop yeah. for six weeks and it was like just done and it was so weird it was like usually I write really really messy first drafts all the way through being like, I'll fix it in the second draft. I'll fix it mm. in the second draft. And then when I come to the second draft, I'm just like, fuck you, Sophie. Why didn't you just mm. do it in the first draft, you lazy bitch? But with where I end, it was like some editing, but like nothing like what I usually would do. And like, I remember saying to Lisa being like, do you think we're doing enough here? We're doing enough with the second draft. And she was like, I mean, yeah. it's, it's there, <laughs> you know. But do you think- I mean, obviously she gave me.
2: Yeah. Essential, brilliant
1: perspective. But do you
2: think that that's because, like, is this the space that you're meant to be in?
1: Yeah, I don't know. I don't think so. I think it's because I've never... Maybe it's... Maybe I had such an incredible creative burst because it was my first go Mm. at horror. Mm. And I've been writing in the commercial fiction space that has constraints because in the commercial fiction space, you have an almost unwritten contract with the reader mm. that you're gonna like give them a good time. Yeah. Like even if you make them cry, things are gonna be okay in the in end. The end yeah, yeah. Whereas with horror, it's like all bets are off. You can just fucking get in there and play around in the darkness. Oh,
2: like, I mean, when I posted about this. You winning, or like you even being nominated. Like mm. I, I got messages from people going, like I'm still traumatized from that book, but like also it was amazing. <laughs> ah,
1: like yeah. they, you know, it's oh, not. Yeah, it's there's no fluff here. <laughs> you no, know, the amount of reviews that people were posting in on Bookstagram, and like it got so much support from everyone in Bookstagram, which was amazing. Um, like, so many of the reviews just began with like, "What the fuck <laughs> was that?" <laughs> I mean that in a good way but like it's just I was just loving the reviews like I hardly ever read them but like every now and again I'd kind of like click into them, blur my eyes so I can't really see anything but the first line and then I'd be like oh my god brilliant another person completely traumatized by that book (laughs) um but yeah I think maybe it was just a huge creative burst because there was a freedom in it yeah Yeah. there's this freedom in it and I suppose I was also like, writing a genre that I know so well, mm. like, and have so much different influences. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I think as well, as kind of incubating the story for a long time. Yeah. Even though a lot of it, I didn't really know what was going to happen until I got down to the page. Yeah. And it's funny, when I'm writing novels, I always find that I do this, and it's subconscious, and I've talked to other writers, and they definitely... It's definitely a thing that happens. You write stuff into the plot that you never planned on as such and then you'll get to a later point in the narrative and you'll realise you've set yourself up perfectly with this other random thing that you wrote into the plot mm. so the ending of where I end was not something I I knew where Elon, the main character needed to end up mm. and there was a big blank space in terms of how she would get there in the last act mm. of the book and then it was just weird it was like this thing that I'd like sewn into the early act of the book came back came in around. that and yeah. and and, like, helped me was this kind of plot point that yeah. was, like... because it was there already. Exactly, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, well, it was a very, very enjoyable writing experience. Like, everyone's, like, oh, my God, was where I end hard to write. And I was, like, absolutely no. not. It was delightful. <laughs> delightful. All the disgusting Google image searches mm. uh, required for mm-hmm. research purposes. Yeah. What does a Jesus. body left in water look like after yeah. four days? Awful. Awful stuff, awful stuff, yeah. Awful stuff.
2: Yeah. Um, and so thinking back to those like dinners we would have or whatever, where oh, you yeah. were on the verge of giving up. Yeah. Like you are undeniably a successful author now. I will try and deny that. That's what I that's literally why I said it to you, <laughs> because I know that you still won't be able to sit with that comfortably.
1: Mm. <laughs> what will it take? I, that's the problem. Yeah. That's the problem. And that's why I do think what I've done over the last years has gotten a lot better at enjoying my process and like really living in the process. Like I'm way less focused about outcomes anymore. I feel like just immensely privileged to be a working writer and have that be my full-time job. And like what a fucking amazing job it is. Mm -hmm. And like, and I love so much of the process now that, it's I'm way less focused on the end, like, results, of course. I want mm. to write the books I, that I want to come out, but, like... The outcome beyond that. The outcome yeah. beyond that. I'm much... Like, my focus is right-sized yeah. now, whereas I was so, before, just, like, just desperate to, you know, succeed and get my work out there and then like I think a lot of things started happening happening in those years since Mm. like make like making mother pod and the creep dive and finding like other ways other people who want to hear these stories and all of that felt so much better because there's no gatekeeping Mm -hmm. the way there is in publishing and stuff Mm -hmm. like that and so I feel like overall my kind of like ambitions are slow like getting more right sized like obviously yeah. I have obviously I am ambitious. I haven't identified what will be enough, maybe just my mum being proud of me, I'm still still tapping away that coal face.
2: I think it'll be when you're proud of
1: yourself, yes, yeah, maybe I think it's uh I think it's so important though to. Just try and keep it the right size yeah. in in your life and in my life. Like, I've actually just taken quite a bit of time off mm. in the last um, three months. And, like, I was just really burnt out, I think, from writing two books last year. You were. It was, yeah, it was yeah. a very full-on year. And it was a year that I kind of, like, too much. neglected myself a bit. Um, and so I think it's been really beneficial just slowing it down a tiny bit. Like, I'm still doing my kind of like, my weekly bread and butter stuff, but Mm. I haven't actually written any, like, fiction... Yet, since kind of March or something, which is long for me. Mm. Really mad. But you can see...
2: I did see.
0: Yeah,
1: on my desk over there is the beginnings of the new novel. And I'm like, I've got like ting, like uh, itchiness in my fingers. I'm very excited about it. And
2: do you want to give any indication of what direction it's going in? It's a... Uh, are we in
0: the
1: darkness or are we in the light? We're in the light. Oh. Though obviously with me there's always darkness in the true. light. <laughs> Um, so yeah, but I'm really excited about it. Like yeah. I love starting a first draft. Oh well everything is still perfect before you start and mm-hmm. then you start making it imperfect. but I'm also I am I am cooking up a, a horror thing as well but it's I have to say and, and I have felt this with my novels as well but the pressure mm. is I am. Like, I get messages, like, practically every day being like, come on, come on, mm. when's the new hire?" And I'm like, I just, maybe I should never write one again. You feel like if, that well, with every book, Sophie. I've been saying this road with you before. <laughs> um,
2: well, look, I am so thrilled for you, and I hope you were thrilled for yourself. I,
1: I hope I just didn't, I'm like... I've just been obnoxiously happy all the way through this interview. That's and good. I'm, it's terrible. It's good. We've had just,
2: enough conversations where you've been obnoxiously miserable. So. Everyone
1: remember <laughs> that like I truly, truly from the bottom of my heart hate myself. No, don't. I do. Shut that's up. Just, that's I'm just I'm stopping
2: recording now. <laughs> Thank you, Sophie White. <laughs> Ready to pop the question? As always, there is lots to talk about when it comes to the celebs this week. I think my favourite stories are international pop stars recognising Irish artists. I mean, what joy. Also, good news for Lindsay Lohan and uh, more gig drama. I hope you enjoy this discussion with Cassie Delaney. Cassie Delaney, thank you for having me in your lovely studio. What a delight it
0: is to be here. Welcome on such a wonderful day, a sea of green on the way in. Isn't it
2: great? I'm so, like, I'm genuinely so excited. I can't remember the last time I was this excited for any sports match.
0: I'm going to have to say, I think it was the time that Ireland were in the World Cup in, I was in primary school and the TV was rolled in <laughs> awfully <laughs> during our sex ed class. So it's a lot of teen pregnancies in my ear. But <laughs> That was exciting.
2: (laughs) I love it. Yeah, I'm super, super excited. I'm super excited. And like, I don't even really care about the result. No. Like, I just want them to be happy. I I want to see... Like,
0: I, I want to, in my head, I'm playing this documentary of their journey up into this point. Yeah. Like, I, I love it. I just, this is like golden buzzer moment stuff. It's like Sistrak 2 with football. It's people <laughs> just pursuing their <laughs> dreams and I'm here for it.
2: Exactly, exactly. It's just, it's the moment is so big that like the actual. The result doesn't matter. Yeah, They've doesn't already matter.
0: won. Yeah, 100%. Thinking of them playing today with all of the Irish supporters I in know. Australia gets but me. But also,
2: imagine they did win. Imagine.
0: Yeah, the I whole mean, thing. The whole we all know it's thing. very
2: unlikely, but like, you know, it would be wild. Um, okay, look, we've got loads of celeb stuff to talk about. And we're going to start with something that is unfortunately really grim. And that is the cause of death for Lisa Marie Presley. Um, Obviously, Lisa Marie Presley, mother of... I love that that's where I go now. Mother of, hmm. that says a lot about how recently I watched Daisy and the Six. <laughs> <laughs> Mother of the girl from Daisy and the Six, whose name has just gone out of my head. Oh my God. Lisa Marie Presley's daughter. Um, so what yeah, is this name? is this is very,
0: very sad. Obviously she passed away um, recently and I think it was assumed that there was something, she has a history of narcotic abuse and I think people had assumed that it was something like that. Um, and Sorry, is, Riley Keough. Jesus. It has been revealed that her cause of death was basically an obstruction in the small intestine as a result of scar tissue or something from post-surgery. So she had had weight loss surgery earlier on and it was likely a compl- complication of that. So it has been ruled as natural but still incredibly incredibly sad that's such a small thing and we know she had been out at an award ceremony the night before so I think there was a lot of speculation about her addiction issues in the past um but this is just a bit of clarification I guess for people that it was a natural cause of death even though it's still very very rare and very very um unusual
2: I think it's just like It's so sad because it was completely avoidable. Yeah. Um, And like, you know, Lisa Marie, like, look, I obviously have feelings about weight loss surgery. Mm -hmm. You guys know that. Like, it's not going to come as a surprise to you. I, I, you know, in general, I think it is a very dangerous thing to do. All of them are very dangerous and the results are not guaranteed. And it's not guaranteed that the results will last. It is life-changing in terms of your quality of life and it is not a quick or easy fix by any stretch of the imagination despite what some people think yeah and I find the ease with which people are accessing it now by going to other countries really worrying because psychologically it can have a big impact on your life but 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 the thing about it is like I, I appreciate that the medical opinion is that for some people it is appropriate but Lisa Marie Presley was never like a person whose weight was Wasn't so itching. significant yeah. that like you would think it would be causing her health problems. Yeah. Like you have to assume that this was a decision that was made for aesthetic reasons. Oh of course. Because of the society that we live in, which of course, tells trying women to, that they need I, to be small.
0: Trying to sit fit a standard of um beauty that's been designed by the men who made Barbie. Like yeah. you know, it it galls me. It's so sad the stuff that we continuously put ourselves through. Um, in the name of fitting a ridiculous, unattainable standard to please men who are
2: trash. So. Much. And especially since, no, this is a bad thing to say, but I'm going to say it anyway. Lisa Marie Presley, so beautiful. like so beautiful I think like deeply profoundly incredibly beautiful at every weight she ever was you know um and yeah it's just so sad it is so sad that we're sold this lie that we need to be small that we need to look a certain way and that you know at all costs Mm. basically um really troubling and really sad and um you know I'm glad though that the assumptions that some people had made have been put to rest in terms of exactly drugs and all the rest. Okay, next up. This was a big drama in the world of country music. Now, I don't think Miranda Lambert is like a huge name in our, no, did like I didn't. Yeah. A lot yeah. of people wouldn't know who she was, but I think it's, I think this is interesting because there's been so much chat recently about people's behavior at gigs. Yeah. And this is one of those things.
0: So yeah, we talked about this recently. So like gig behavior is is chaotic at the moment. And we kind of conceptualize that maybe it's because of people feeling like they need to participate in something. There's a lot of, there's a lot of actions or things happening at gigs for the result of a social media video, mm. TikToks basically ruined an entire generation yes. of people who feel like they are, to quote TikTok, the main, the main character. character. Yeah. So, um, this has been happening more and more at gigs, and it is upsetting artists to the point where, like, artists are being thrown things, and um, or things are being thrown at them at stay on stage. They're kind of being harassed, and it's making the whole concert going experience really uncomfortable and really um just not what it's meant to be. So, um, Miranda Lambert stopped her concert the other day to call out a fan who was taking a selfie. So there's a short video and she basically stops everything and says that these this group of of people and Adele, Adela Kalen actually is, a, who's a social media influencer who was there and um, was spotted taking the selfie and Miranda stopped and said, you know, we're here to basically, we're here to listen to the music and it's distracting. And this is not what we came here for to which like the, the people taking the selfie responded saying, look, it's 30 seconds at most. We just wanted to get one good picture in it. You know, it's.
2: Yeah, they were like, the, we tried to take a picture before the gig started, but the lighting was bad. And then you came on and we wanted to, because they the picture has been posted. And it's, you know, six women standing strategically so that Miranda is in the photo, like on stage in the background. Like they clearly are actual fans. You just wanted to get a picture. Yeah, I mean, kind of in ostensibly the with her were at the gig. They thought they had the best seats in the house. Like, and she stopped the song and like called them out in front of everyone. I would be... Fuming. I'd be
0: mortified. Now, there is, I think it is interesting. There's this like really great photo, I don't know if you've seen it, of um, Hillary Clinton. And she's in front of a crowd and everyone's backs are to her. But you can see them all trying to take the selfies. Oh, yeah. Like there's something in, you know, there's got to be something very disconcerting for the artist to look out at the crowd and see people's backs. Because everyone's trying to put themselves in the yeah. moment, which I guess is like. It is just what we have learned to do. You yeah. put yourself in the picture and yada, yada, it's great for the engagement, whatever. But, I, but
2: all, I mean, is that worse than standing, like watching a gig through your phone as people do now? Like, I mean, like phones at gigs, there's there's a question I and should a genuine conversation. Well, not even should they be allowed, but like, you know, what is, what is appropriate and what's not appropriate? Like, I understand and I have felt the compulsion to like... Take 700 photographs yeah. and record because you think something is so amazing you want to relive it or you want to show someone or whatever. But the reality is it, like very little of what you take at a gig. Is it's actually going to be good. So, there is always professional people taking yeah. way better stuff that you can use, and like you don't get to fully enjoy the gig. You no, know? I think I don't know if you've done Abba Voyage yet. It is transformative. I haven't. I'm actually thinking about doing it for my birthday this year.
0: Oh my god, I will. I will Group be trip, there. Yeah. yeah. Um, it is absolutely incredible, and there are no phones allowed. So like you wow. have to engage with. Well, first of all, I don't think you can take a picture of these hologram, hologram things. Yeah. <laughs> but um, you have to engage, and it was one of the most profound concerts I was at in terms of like just noticing and maybe it was because it was that bad and it was so magical but noticing how the crowd reacted to the music was so much part of that experience yeah and then interacting with the people around you and not having a phone so I am definitely on the side of let's ban phones at gigs
2: yeah or I almost think like maybe we should have a policy that like yeah like uh song one Take all your songs in song one, like, uh, you know, some some artists would have a policy where photographers can come in for the first three songs and take their professional yeah. photos and then it's done. Like something like that even I think would be good. Not, not f- just for everyone's enjoyment, like to remind us that like, you know, we are there to have an experience, not to like record us having an experience.
3: Exactly.
0: Yeah. Something. Yeah. It, and it's so live music is so transformative. I remember seeing this tweet once of someone who became a born again Christian because they were at church and there was like music and they felt like Jesus was compelling them and then they got older they were like oh no I just really like live music
2: Uh, Cassie that's the basis of my entire relationship with born again Christianity (laughs) which I know is something that we share mine too so yeah
0: that is it is like it's 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 it brings you
2: closer to God. That's just uh, for I'm people like. who don't know, Cassie and I both separately, independently of each other, drifted into born again Christianity as teenagers. Yeah. Um, desperate for acceptance and just really loving music. Just, yeah, just out of it now, just dealing with it
0: responsibly in our late 30s. <laughs> Genuinely, though, if, yeah. they, if the music, like, in America, they have, I mean, honestly, I still listen to some of those Christian rock bands. Oh my God, Lighthouse were a bop and very good <laughs> looking. Stars of
2: clay, hello. Oh.
1: <laughs> okay, um, let's
2: stay with music because there were a couple of really cool music stories this week about Irish artists getting kind of recognition from international artists. And um, we'll start with our beloved Circa Richardson. Ellie Goulding recorded a cover of one of Circa's songs.
0: Oh. Oh, so good it's just this is just one of those moments where you're like I know you're really good friends with circa as well and it's just one of those things where I feel a major sense of pride when any Irish female does something that like is you know outside the the expectation so Ellie Golding covered this um she kind of teased it a couple of weeks ago I saw a few little clips and then said that she just absolutely fell in love with this song and wanted to re-record it so um the song obviously is about following your darker and more destructive impulses but the cover is I mean obviously the original is absolutely stunning but it's amazing to see this kind of cover Mm. for the studio sessions um I won't click into it now and see the views but it it's been beautifully produced it's the kind of thing that like the live lounge does and it really elevates smaller artists so Mm -hmm. hopefully this is um this is, this is Circa's international success era. Yeah,
2: because the thing is, right? Um, and look, like I'm biased because as you said, I, right. I'm, it's not even that I'm friends with Circa. I'm just such a huge fan of yes. Circa's. Like genuinely, I, I think she is just a brilliant artist. I love her music. Like I, the reason that I know Circa is because I was playing her music on 2FM and that's how we started talking. Oh yeah. Yeah. This is she, how I.
0: Enforced a friendship with Pamela Connolly from Pillow Queens. <laughs> yeah. Like,
2: enforced. It yeah, you can, really, you can do that. Day. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we started we started messaging because she was living in Brooklyn at the time and her like aunties and stuff were like, oh, they're playing on 2FM. So we started chatting and mm-hmm. kind of that's how it started. So, like, I'm just such a fan of her music. So I don't know if it's actually a bias. Um, and I think it's so amazing. And I genuinely think that if she was a, a man, making music of that quality she would be getting a lot more recognition and she would be a bigger name in Ireland like I think in Ireland we have like such a kind of well-worn relationship with male singer-songwriters and stuff that there's like a route there's a carved out route for them and I think it's harder for women and I think Circa deserves so much more recognition international recognition like Circa is up there with like in my opinion, like your Lucy Dacus's is, your Courtney Barnett's, you're you know yeah. all those people, like and she deserves that recognition. Not just that she's not recognized internationally. Like I know you know she has great success in other countries, but I want more for her. Yeah,
0: I think it's coming though. I think it's definitely coming when you see endorsements like to. this, and in the same week then when we see Robbie Williams endorse yeah. the CMAT like all eyes should be on female artists. Hundred percent. Like the the when we were up um beyond the pale and watching Saint Sister and like seeing the crowd react to that, like we. we We have such incredible female talent in the music industry in this country that it's just that like collective, I think, force, you know, we'll rise together with it. I mean, I am tone deaf, but I will be here (laughs) supporting them all and pushing them forward. And when you see the success of things like Women in Harmony last year or, well, two, three years ago. And and what is that? What is time. (laughs) yesterday um you know we can we we really should be incredibly incredibly proud yeah of the work that is being produced here but that is not to say that it is not very very difficult for artists yeah, in this really country difficult. to be able to create great stuff
2: let's just expand on Robbie Williams and CMAT because this is
0: gas CMAT is one of these artists who is just a incredible talent but she reminds me in Adele in that she is like pushed so forward by her humor and her interactions with yeah. fans and online yeah she's such a joy um, and she's so accessible in that way and even her I know um she performs loads of puka music and we bumped into him one night out and I was like I don't know you but I love you you know <laughs> and they're just so um they're so welcoming they're so warm so this week Robbie Williams uh in, endorsed, loved a CMAT's C. new song and tweeted about it. So her new song, um, Where Are Your Kids Tonight, Robbie Williams just shared the link and said, well, this is majestic. But of course, this opened up a conversation between CMAT and Robbie because as we know, Robbie is CMAT's God. So she tweeted him back with the any chance you've ever heard of this song or the opening lines of it for Lonely. And it just um it started this kind of little back and forth between them to the point where Robbie Williams then recorded a little video saying that he absolutely loves her
3: now what's that lady called where and um it's called where are your children and it's by cmat c-m-a-t featuring john grant and uh it's fucking beautiful song song of the year and little did I know that CMAT references me in one of her songs, which I found thrilling. I'm a new fan and I'm totally in.
2: Because Lonely features the line, God, I bet if there was a God, I'd be killing him. But who needs God when I have Robbie Williams? Yeah, it's just so,
0: so serendipitous. It's <laughs> yeah. absolutely perfect. But there's very few, I think there's there's a ballsiness to to. Um, C match like yeah she's just so she's so honest and so authentic and like the way that she just like it didn't matter that it was Robbie Williams she was straight in with like yeah do you hear this one do you yeah. like this one
2: she's she's charismatic is what she is oh and she's just brilliant
0: yeah, I could watch her for, forever
2: love to see that <laughs> sorry someone is like rolling <laughs> barrels around right beside us so if you hear that just ignore it yeah. Lindsay Lohan has had a Baby,
0: um a baby son. So she is um celebrating with her lavish life in Dubai. <laughs> I love
2: where they put that in headlines. Lavish life. Don't we all? I mean, it does look like she's having a lavish life. Her husband is apparently worth a hundred million. Look, we, I mean how do they figure these things out? I'm so like I'm so poor,
0: I don't even know how people figure out their net worth. I but know, like, but I, I think, think if you're, you're rich in the UAE, you're really rich. So, yeah, she has she's had a little, um, her little baby son. It's so, it's just, I'm just so happy for her. Me too. Like, I'm just, there's not really much more to this story other than she had a child. Yeah. But she's really happy about it and she is doing really, really well.
2: Luai, is that the, is that how you pronounce it? I don't know. Yeah. It's, it's an Arabic name. Um, but. Y- you know. It's cute though. It is
0: cute. It's really, really cute. And I think, um yeah I think that she's really back on track I know last year we saw a couple of Lindsay Lohan Christmas films and it really seemed like she was back thriving the films themselves that Christmas one where she gets amnesia as a skier I mean I watched it of course he does I'd watch it again I watch it every year same Um, But it's great to see her kind of yeah just doing well just succeeding happy having a family having maybe she looks really healthy and uh, I'm thrilled for her Would have been cooler if it was twins, though.
2: Sorry, I am getting distracted by the hilarity that is someone just rolling barrels around right beside us just for the crack exactly at this time that we're recording. There's also
0: no business nearby that would require barrels, so I'm very confused. What
2: is happening? No idea. I'm fine with it. I like a bit of Atmos. Um, Yeah, no, look, I'm just so... I'm I'm just delighted for her. I think people like my age I'm a little bit older than you and like you know we have been through it with Lindsay do you know what I mean oh yeah and we're also invested in her well-being in her life we want what's best for her we watched the Oprah series and saw her make a mess of it we've seen her make a mess over and over and over again and we yeah. just want her to get to the point where she's we've, lived through, well,
0: we've lived through the stories of her being thrown off set yeah. going from her I suppose go like right through from her parent trap where she, it was just incredible that she paid those two people yeah and then um being in her peak in what 2002 with mean girls and then the slow and unfortunate kind of um Decline, but she was so loved, so loved, and it was a still. It was around that time of Amanda Bynes and yeah. you know Britney Spears, and yeah, it was um, a really
2: rough time to be a woman in in media, a famous woman, yeah. a famous young woman. Um, so yeah, look, there's not much to it except for she had a baby. The name means shield or protector, um, and she says that she's absolutely delighted and very happy with her life, and I'm delighted for her.
0: She's doing well, and that's what we like to see.
2: Um, now finally. Paul Rudd is sound. We knew this already. He has confirmed his soundness by appearing in a music video.
0: Yes. So he met um, musician Claude in the VIP area of a Taylor Swift Eras tour. I love, sorry, I love, love, love the videos of celebs at Taylor Swift. Oh my God, I'm ups- I, She I- is the, like Taylor and Adele are the celebs' celeb
2: all of them say she's so sound this yeah. is the thing like i've been consuming a lot of taylor content on tiktok recently and um one it, it is very consistent that people are like she's really sound and if you watch even the way that she is in interviews yeah she speaks to the people who are interviewing her like they're real people oh like there that. was a clip of an old spin 1038 interview yeah this is now in, down the gayler rabbit hole, but th- there was an implication that there was oh, flirtation. A happening. Oh, I didn't go. Deep. But anyway, yeah, I'm, I'm well in there. But anyway, um. She was doing this interview and they were, they were talking about Tinder and the interviewer who, some Irish girl, I don't know who, what her name is. Sorry, no offense, Irish girl, if you're listening, and um, was talking about being on Tinder and Taylor was like, oh, you need to, t- you need to, I want to hear those stories after. Like, you know, it's all that kind of thing. Like yeah, and yeah. you and I were like on a level, like she, she really makes people feel that way.
0: Yeah. I had an issue with Taylor Swift for years because her birthday is the 13th of December and mine is the 11th. And she said one year that she couldn't have a birthday party because She didn't feel like she had friends or didn't whatever so i tweeted her and asked her if she wanted to have a joint party and she never got back to me so then Rude. i was like she's yeah yeah we're not we're she, not pals
2: cassie i think she just didn't see it she'd I'm seen it assume she would have definitely it. gotten back and to you and she might
0: not now because i've deleted twitter because i don't want elon musk to make another cent off my yeah, good
2: idea but yeah like anyway in short what i'm trying to say is she seems really sound her fans love her because she talks to them like they're actual people she talks yeah. to interviewers like they're actual people i saw an interview with ice spice the other day who was like you know Taylor Swift has been so unbelievably sane to me. And now we're friends and we text and she's really funny and she's really fun. And like, you know, she's popular
0: for a reason. Oh, 100%. I think she's, I, I think she's absolutely fantastic. I've come so far around to being indifferent to Taylor to now having a strategy to go down and get my tickets. Oh God, And also,
2: um, by the time you listen to this, you'll know whether you got tickets and I hope, the gods have been in your favor. Yeah. There's Um, people
0: out there. There's, there's people praying to the good gay gods for, for us to get our tickets. Obviously it's, it's a travesty that the ticket sales time is the same time as the kickoff. There are lesbians in a, in a, in a spiral today of what to do. (laughs) Um, but we are trying our best. I've got a strategy. I'm going down to, I'm going to be on my laptop, On the kickoff at the same time. Anyway, um, but (laughs) this is my Paul Rudd. This is my Paul. (laughs) So musician Claude is a, an up and coming non-binary musician signed to Phoebe Bridges, saddest records label. Sounds like the kind of person that I'm going to enjoy. Yes. And, um, actually had written a song called Paul Rudd. And when they spotted Paul at Taylor Swift, approached him and asked Paul to be in the music video. And of course, Paul Rudd being the gent that he is said yes and now appears in the music video
2: just so cool like they were having a chat and claude was like oh i actually this is weird but like there's a song called paul rudd and like this is what it's about and paul rudd was like give me uh, send it to me and like gave them his email address and they sent it and then they were like hey just we are actually doing a video and he was like yeah like like so sound and the so video sound. is charming yeah. and like he he's just the best yeah and lending his authority lending
0: his like his fame to help someone up and coming and help yeah. someone who is well you know non-binary in the states not a very very fun place to be right now not no. a fun place to be trans not a fun place to be lgbt so to put yourself out there and um support someone like that means a lot too. Just everyone. It's just good. Sorry, you said a LGBTQT there. I did, and
2: I Literally, realized. I just, all I could start think was putting the QT in LGBTQ. <laughs> oh my god put me down I'm too giddy okay Cassie Delaney there's such a giddiness today
0: it's like <laughs> let's go Taylor Swift concerts
2: are going on sale the World the Cup is kicking off it's too much um Cassie Delaney thank you so much where can people find you and listen to you
0: um you can find me on the Creep Dive and you can find me most a lot of the time on my pot and paper there's only two more weeks left of Love Island and then um yeah that is where I am hanging out mostly these days is talking about young straight people on the tv (laughs) you're so good at it thank you thanks
2: It's just about time for me to go. But before I do, I have some recommendations. You guys, I actually consumed some culture over the last week. I feel like it's been ages since I've had a decent recommendation for you. Um, Things were just so hectic there for a while. There was no TV being watched and nothing being read. But this week, I watched some really good stuff and I also read some good stuff. So, first of all, The Bear is back. If you haven't seen The Bear, like i don't know where you've been it's set in a restaurant in chicago it is so so good i watched the first two episodes of the new series last night sorry i had to think about that um and they are brilliant it's such a brilliant program if you're not watching it watch it it is on disney plus like there's only eight episodes in the first season so you could absolutely get caught up and get into the second season and be part of all the chat i also watched most of survival of the thickest on netflix and um, this is just really like fun and light and not too serious it is about a stylist in new york she's plus sized. she's really passionate about um styling plus size people and making people feel good but it's funny and it's smart and uh it's the stars michelle who I think was also involved in writing the the show and um it's kind of all based around her and her comedy and um it's really good it's really fun um highly recommend great to kind of just pop on Survival of the Thickest. I have been really really enjoying the Louis Theroux podcast which is a Spotify podcast which means you can only listen to it on Spotify. It's just an interview series but I just love Louis Theroux and I love his interview style and I'm a big fan of the Adam Buxton podcast and um, Adam and Louis are pals from school so Louis has been on that podcast loads of times so um, I feel like if you only knew louis from his recent tv work you wouldn't know about his sense of humor he has a great sense of humor and that always comes through whenever he's on adam buxton's podcast and he a lot of that comes through on the louis through podcast which i as i said is on spotify so i saw that he had an episode with um jeanette mccurdy Coming up, and I had been meaning to read her book for ages. She wrote a book called I'm Glad My Mom Died, which is a memoir, um, and it came out last year, I think. Um, And you know, I had heard so many people say that it was brilliant, and I don't know, I just never got around to it. I kind of maybe I just felt like I wasn't really in the right headspace, but anyway, I didn't want to listen to the Louis Theroux episode without having read the book and what I actually ended up doing was listening to it on audiobook. Does that qualify as reading? I don't know. I mean, look, I consumed the book. And it was so good. I listened to it in just over two days. I highly, highly recommend it. It is read by her. It's read really well. The book is brilliant. It's about her relationship with her mother, who was an extremely troubled woman, who kind of poured her troubles into Jeanette herself. Jeanette was a child star. Um, She was in Nickelodeon series, like very big Nickelodeon series um and it's about her experience as a child star and and also in the context of her relationship with her mother which was um crazy i mean genuinely um but it's 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 a brilliant book and then the interview with louis through is also brilliant so highly recommend those and then if you are one of the many people who often messages me and says i've watched the beverly hills housewives and i don't know where to go i've tried this one i've tried that one i don't you know i don't know this one has so many series The new Real Housewives of New York has just begun... So The Real Housewives of New York is one of the OG franchises, but they've rebooted it with an entirely new cast. So you can start watching just from episode one of this new series and you'll be in at the ground floor. The first episode aired last week. So far, so fun. Um, I've really enjoyed it. Certainly feels younger and fresher than the previous Real Housewives of New York City, which I also loved, by the way. But it's just a completely different vibe. So if you want to get in at the start, now is the time. Obviously, I watch on Hey You, as I often say, because... I do. Um, it's my favorite app that I have. This isn't an ad, but I would happily take their money um, as previously mentioned. um. So yeah, uh, if you want, if Hey You has all the Housewives and all the kind of reality TV stuff, so it's all there for you if you want it. Um, and I think those are all my recommendations for now, but I'm hoping that I'll get to do some reading when I'm away on our holidays. Sam has promised me, my six-year-old, that he's going to let me read loads. He might ted age four probably won't we'll see look we'll see we'll see i'm bringing several books with me so hopefully i'll have some good recommendations on the flip side for you if you want to access the patreon episodes they're all there um for you all you have to do is sign up and you can get all the old ones and you'll get the new one on barbie next week as well time for me to go thank you so much to ACAS for having me on the network and to my lovely contributors I hope you have a lovely week have a lovely couple of weeks um but as I always say they can't all be lovely so if it's not a great one don't worry just keep putting one foot in front of the other and I will talk to you soon